Hi, this is Mark Graven here from Kinexus. This is the audio recording of a webinar that I presented on July 27th, 2016. If you'd like to see the actual uh, video with slides or to download the slides, go to kinexus.com slash webinars and click on the link for webinars on demand. Hi, welcome to the Kinexus webinar. Thank you very much for joining us today. Um, the webinar today is everything you need to know about strategy deployment. My name is Jeff Russo. I'm the Vice President of Sales at Kinexus, and we will be hearing from Mark Craven, who's the Vice President of Improvement and Innovation Services at Kinexus. But let me introduce uh, Mark Craven. Uh, for those of you, most of you probably know him. For those of you who don't, um, Mark had joined Kinexus years ago, but he has had a illustrious career, 20 plus years practicing lean, uh, 10 years in the manufacturing space, and, and 11 plus years now in healthcare. He's also written a number of books, including Lean Hospital and Healthcare Kaizen, and you can learn more about him at www.markraven.com. Thanks, Jeff. Well, thanks everybody for being here today. We're going to try to cover a lot, I mean, maybe not everything you need to know, or at least maybe it's, uh, it's not even going to be quite everything I know about strategy deployment, but I hope this is helpful for you because too many people say Lean is just a set of tools in the toolbox. Some say, oh, Lean is just uh, one of the tools in the process improvement toolbox. And you know, I think that, that isn't quite right. That kind of sells Lean and the Toyota production system short. Lean is not just a set of tools. There's more to it than that. You know, if we go and visit an organization like uh, Toyota or a ThetaCare in healthcare, we're going to see lean practices. There's going to be things we can see with our own eyes. You might call these lean tools. It's the part of the iceberg that's above the surface of the water. And this uh, part of, of, of the iceberg is the smaller part of the total iceberg. So what's the most important part about lean? It's not just the tools. The tools are born from the part of the iceberg that's beneath the surface of the water, the things that are harder to see on a quick tour or a quick visit, the management system, the philosophy, the culture, the way of thinking, the mindsets. When we understand those and we see the tools, we see how the mindsets lead to the use of tools and to the proper use of tools. There's a risk with any lean methods, and, and this would include strategy deployment. We could use the mechanics of the method without really getting the gist of it and not using it in a way that's as effective in organizations that have used these different methods, including strategy deployment. So we have to be careful of, of not just seeing and copying artifacts, but make sure that we understand the principles and the ideas that are built within. So when we think about strategy deployment in healthcare, I mean, of course the roots are in manufacturing and uh, we know we have not just a healthcare audience here today, but that's been where I've been working uh, in the past 11 years. So I just want to share a few examples for those of you in healthcare. Of course, ThetaCare um, Health System in Wisconsin has been using strategy deployment um, for, for a number of years. One way you can learn more about strategy deployment and their approach to lean is uh, the DVD that you see pictured here, Thinking Lean at ThetaCare. You can, um, you can buy that and you can, uh, on DVD, you can watch it on, uh, on demand. 
Um, really recommend this. I, I played a role in producing that about five years ago, but this is a great way to try to understand the management system, including strategy deployment. Virginia Mason Medical Center uses strategy deployment, and this is documented a number of places, including this book by Charles Kenny, Virginia Mason's story. And I should also point out um, some of the books from Theodicare, um, Management on the Mend by John Toussaint, I believe. The book uh, Beyond Heroes by Kim Barnes should have information about their approach and, and definitely about the broader management system. There's another book, an organization you might not be as aware of. They are uh, Scott and White in uh, the Temple, Texas, Waco, Texas area. They actually merged with Baylor and they are now Baylor, Scott and White. But this book, um, The Power of Ideas to Transform Healthcare by Steve Heft and Bob Pryor. Bob Pryor had been the CEO of the Scott and White system, Dr. Pryor. Um, the lean management system includes strategy deployment. I've had a chance to go visit there and it's a, a very impressive uh, system that they have in place, a very important part of their success with lean. So what is strategy deployment? You may hear the term strategy deployment. You may also hear a, a Japanese phrase, Hoshin Kanri. You, know, you may sometimes hear the phrase policy deployment or Hoshin planning. There's sort of a, a lack of standardized terminology here. But the two words, Hoshin basically means compass, Kanri means management or control. So we can think about this as you know, the management compass, what helps point us in the direction of north? And you'll see where the, the phrase true north comes from. So it, it can be described as a process for embedding strategy in aligning an organization toward common goals. And strategy deployment, Hoshin Connery, actually, you know, this could be lean trivia. <laughs> Uh, your next lean happy hour or lean lunch. You know, who developed strategy deployment? People might say, oh, it must have been Toyota. But it's actually credited to uh, a group, including Dr. Yoji Akao, who was uh, working for a Japanese Hewlett Packard joint venture. And they were the ones that developed this process. It spread to Hewlett Packard, at least at the time, in the United States and around the world, and, and has been uh, considered to be part of the lean management system because it's been adopted by Toyota and a number of other uh, companies and organizations in different industries. So one book I like, and there's a, a number of books that, that can be helpful with strategy deployment, there's a book called The Management Compass, uh, Michelle Bechtel, and she describes the process at a high level this way. One, you know, study the situation. This may start to sound like good A3 problem solving if, if you're familiar with that approach. Two, focus on the vital few priorities. Three, ask employees to develop plans for how to close those gaps. So hopefully you're starting to hear a little bit about some back and This is not just a top-down process. Four, specify the means and measures to close gaps. Means would be the activity, the how. How are we going to get there? Edwards Deming always used to ask, you know, by what method? If management set goals and targets, that's not enough. We need to understand the method and get input from the organization. Five, make cause and effect relationships visible. And six, iteratively zero in on the strategic objectives. So again, this is a PDSA, plan, do, study, adjust process. 
But I think it's worth pointing out, strategy deployment is not the same as the old approach to management by objectives, or what some people might have called goal deployment or policy deployment. MBO was typically a top-down, unidirectional approach. Executives come up with strategy and they push it down or communicate it down in the organization. It's often used as a threat to per improve performance. You know, I've, I've given you goals, you better hit those goals or else. You know, the, the implied or explicit threat is, you know, you get those results and I don't care how, but we'll find someone else who can. And it's often unlinked. You know, we, we might not have good alignment um, from a top-down perspective. So strategy deployment is a, a little bit different approach. Yes, there are similarities, but, you know, we focus not just on profit, but on voice of the customer, what you might call a balanced scorecard. Um, you're trying to focus on key priorities. We're looking at the means and the methods, not just the results. Um, it's a continuous process, not just annual cycles. Um, there are frequent re reviews up and down. And as, as Bechtel points out in her book, it's not tied to performance appraisal, which that's another Dr. Deming issue, and I'm not sure if that's really um, how organizations are practicing strategy deployment today, but we'll, we'll leave that for uh, another day. But strategy deployment, you know, as I uh, alluded to, uses a process called catchball. As with other aspects of lean management, it's not just a top-down process where goals flow down. There are feedback loops. There may be pushback where executives and, and the next level of leadership uh, may propose goals, and uh, the next level down say, may, may say, well, yeah, you're right, but maybe we should consider this. It's, it's again, not strictly top-down. And then the ideas about how we close gaps in performance tend to flow bottom-up, but again, with feedback, um, input, constructive criticism, pushback from people above. So, you know, as John Shook from LAI says, lean is neither top-down nor bottom-up. It's a combination of the two, and a good strategy deployment process um, has elements of that as we, quote-unquote, play catch ball. And I'll, I'll talk about this a little bit more as we go. So over the past couple of years, I've sort of come to think about strategy deployment as a series of hypotheses, sort of an organizational PDSA cycle that works, you know, that thinks long-term, you know, roughly annual cycles, not just exclusively, but, you know, we're thinking three- to five-year plans. We're thinking annual cycles, more frequent reviews. Um, the, the thinking should be familiar to anyone who's doing A3s or PDSA problem solving at a lower scale in the organization, a lower level. This is how executives can sort of practice what they preach or lead by example by forming hypotheses. You know, it's not a case of a strategic plan being this linear process of, well, we developed a plan, therefore it's perfect. Maybe we paid a consultant a lot of money for that plan, and we're going to just, we're going to plow forward and execute the plan. PDSA poses hypotheses. Here's what we think the scenario is. Here's what we think is going to happen. And then when we pose the hypothesis, we check the results. We plan, we do, we study, we adjust. So I, I think there's four, there's probably more, but four key hypotheses. And I've written a couple of blog posts about these hypotheses. You can go to leanblog.org slash SD1 or slash SD2 for the two parts of this discussion. 
But the first, I think the first high-level hypothesis, how do we get to true north? The hypothesis says if we focus our improvement efforts and close performance gaps in these four or maybe five areas, key areas, we will therefore perform well as an organization this year and over the long term. This is a hypothesis. We can in a room and brainstorm and come up with what we think our true north is, but we don't know if that's going to resonate with people. We don't know if we really have the right strategic focus until we prove it and test it out in practice. Now, these are going to be long cycles, but I think they're still PDSA cycles. If you look at ThetaCare, a snapshot in time when we did that strategy deployment video, back in roughly 2010, 2011, they define True North in roughly four categories, safety and quality, people, delivery, and cost and productivity were sort of combined together. So this was the language that ThetaCare was using. These are the categories for their True North. These are the key focus areas. And again, the, the implicit hypothesis is if we do well in these four areas, we will succeed as an organization. That's a hypothesis that we have to go and test. But again, ThetaCare's True North is not exactly what it should be for some other health system or for a manufacturing company or a law firm or a, a services provider. There's one hospital that I worked with, Karen Martin and I worked together, and we led them through a process of deciding what they thought their True North should be. And this is what they came up with, slightly different categories than ThetaCare. They defined their true north as safety and quality as one category, people, patient service, and financial. So you might say, well, that's kind of the same as ThetaCare, except they said patient safety instead of delivery. Well, I, you know, I think there was some nuance to it. But this is the language that resonated with their executives and with their mid-level managers as the executives played catch ball of saying, you know, here's the terminology we're using. Do you agree these are the focus areas that we should be prioritizing? So the process of coming up with these four uh, categories was a lot more difficult than it might sound. We went through hours of discussion, building consensus, of brainstorming different goals and priorities. What do we need to improve? What do we need to accomplish? Grouping those and categorizing them to see what sort of logical categories were formed by those different goals. And you can see in an early iteration, they had a fifth category um, called community health, and they had a, a category called service delivery. Uh, I, I think they ended up combining those together into um, a direction that they called patient service. So again, th this required consensus within the executive team, and they played catch ball with the level of leadership down below. Um, not as easy as it sounds, but it's important to go through that process. So what are some lessons learned from this first hypothesis? Again, don't copy. You know, go through a process of gaining consensus. Don't just dictate what truth north, true north is. It must resonate with your people. Because I think if we don't get connection around the themes of true north, we're not going to get alignment around measures and the means or the initiatives or the projects that we're going to do. It's got to resonate, not just logically, but somewhat emotionally. And then as John Toussaint says, um, the best strategy deployment system in the world doesn't make up for the wrong strategy. 
So how do we know if we have the right strategy or the wrong strategy? Again, I, I would suggest it, at first it's a hypothesis. We don't know until we go and test and try to even possibly disprove our hypothesis and adjust over time. So that's the, uh, the first hypothesis. Hypothesis number two, we start thinking about measures. It's, we might say if we can improve and close our performance gaps in these key performance indicators, we will satisfy our need for improvement in the key focus areas of, of True North, and therefore we will be successful as an organization overall. So we're trying to think systemically, not sub-optimizing, not just setting goals for different departments that might run in conflict with each other. We need alignment. We're looking for systematic, systemic improvement. So if we kind of dig in and say, well, what are the metrics, the key performance indicators that Toyota was using at that time? You can see uh, preventable mortality medication errors, under people, OSHA recordable injuries, uh, turnover hat, I think is um, health assessment score. I could be wrong on that, so I'm going to post a comment. I'm sure if I am. Uh, under delivery, results turnaround time, same-day access, quality of time, and then we have operating margin and a productivity measure of uh, basically revenue per FTE. So these are the metrics that ThetaCare had at that point in time. These are system level metrics. As you can see in this uh, screen grab from the ThetaCare DVD, here's their CEO, current CEO, Dr. Dean Bruner. He of course succeeded John Toussaint. They have their four high level focus areas and they have a handful of key measures that they track in their executive conference room to see if they're making progress throughout the year on those key measures and to reflect on how they're doing, if they're succeeding or not as an organization. So we have the, these high-level system metrics, but again, we're thinking through um, annual PDSA cycles with, with more frequent checks than that. So we're looking at, at those key measures. How did we perform? Are we improving or not? But then we also need to ask why did we get that performance? And we'll talk more about that. Were those the right goals? Were they the right measures? And are they still the right goals? So sometimes from year to year, you may solve some problems based on some key measures. And while True North tends to stay pretty consistent, the actual measures that are used year to year uh, may change for different reasons. That's part of the study and adjust in the PDSA cycle. So if we look um, you know, a year or two later at ThetaCare, their True North evolved. They broke out safety and quality into separate categories, and some of the measures changed. They still have a people category. They renamed cost and productivity to be a category called financial stewardship. And they put a focus, at least as they've illustrated in this diagram, on the customer, the patient, um, kind of the typical patient, Lori, as they refer to her, I guess it's sort of a, a patient persona, and they have a measure associated with that goal, the customer loyalty score. So I'll overlay you know, the, the True North categories and measures, um, and you can see how that evolves and how that changes. It's True North, but sometimes our path to get to True North is not necessarily going to be a straight line year to year. We're going to have adjustments. So we have you know, high-level measures, such as 
you know, we're focused on the patient and employee safety. We have this high-level measure around safety. And now we look throughout the organization, you know, up and down and, and horizontally through, the, through uh, the health system, and we ask, what are we measuring at different levels? We may have a high-level measure around patient harm incidents. A telemetry unit might measure, for example, patient falls. An outpatient clinic might have a key measure around employee sprains and strains. So alignment in measures doesn't necessarily mean everybody is measuring exactly the same thing, and I think that's a really important point. One time when I visited Scott and White, they told a great story about how they had a system-level measure around patient harm. And, and one of the key measures they were pushing throughout the health system was around patient falls, which is a serious problem in a lot of situations. The uh, labor and delivery department actually pushed back, and they said to the executive team, and this is part of an effective catch-ball process, you know, we don't think patient falls is the right measure of patient safety for labor and delivery. Because they said our patients generally don't fall. We have a different patient population. We have different problems we're trying to solve. We're going to measure something different. And I think that's a really uh, good sign of a healthy dynamic within a strategy deployment process, that people can disagree and push back and look for alignment instead of everything being identical. Now we're looking at alignment and we're going to have generally tiered metrics. Group Health Cooperative is an organization in Washington State. You can see a couple different pictures here of some metrics boards that they used at kind of the group level setting at the executive level for all 26 clinics and then looking at the, the different measures for an office, which would be an entire building, and then a clinic, which is a subset within an office. So we, we define what the measures are going to be. We're tracking measures. You know, at a local level, these are going to tend to be daily and weekly measures. To look and see and understand how teams and leaders at different levels are contributing not just to their own success, but to the organization's success. We can see daily management boards at different organizations, an example of you know, a frontline board. It's going to have their goals, their true north objectives, longer term measures, daily measures. Uh, we're going to see improvement ideas. We might see A3s related to bigger projects. This is where strategy deployment and Kaizen or continuous improvement where A3 problem solving and huddles and leader rounding, things like that all should blend together into a management system, a lean management system, instead of looking at just isolated management practices. Um, that, that creates, I think, a bigger challenge. Well, how do we put a system like this into place? Can we really embrace and adopt all of this overnight, or do we need to phase in practices like this over time? So some lessons learned from that second hypothesis. Remember, the acronym KPI means key performance indicator. Not 100 metrics, but as we've learned, sometimes tracking more metrics isn't always better. Sometimes that leads to confusion. It, it, we, we, if we're looking to understand the health of the organization, kind of thinking of the parallel of the health of a person, if we want to understand a person's health, we don't necessarily need 100 
or 500 metrics. You could probably measure 100 or 500 different things about a person and their health, but there's probably some key indicators, uh, height and weight, blood pressure, cholesterol levels. You know, if you had to really look at a couple of key measures, I think that's the thought process we're going through here. Um, that doesn't mean you know, if the leadership team is focusing on a key 12 measures or so, it doesn't mean those are the only things the organization is tracking, but those are the things the leadership team is really closely monitoring, again, because there's a hypothesis. If we're making progress in these measures, then we are headed in the right direction as an organization. So key performance indicators, that's, that's key, if you will. We want to be careful about, again, not copying. Gain consensus on what the metrics should be. The, the catch-ball process, again, uh, plays a very important part here. They're not just dictated. We want to focus on measures that we think are the best indicators of progress and gap closure. So if we have metrics that we choose and we're already doing well compared to targets and goals, that's not really going to be helpful in terms of driving improvement activity. So we want to make sure that we're choosing some, some key measures that have room for progress, because that, that's going to get into the next hypotheses here. So we have measures, we're going to set goals. You know, for example, we might say, you know, we have, uh, as an organization, 10 patient falls per month. Um, our goal for this next year is to get that down to just two. Our long-term goal would be to drive that to zero. And we're going to measure our progress toward that metric over time throughout the year. And, and not just wait till the end of the year to realize we didn't hit the goal. But I would pose a question, and, and there's always a lot of debate and discussion about targets. Is the target going to be 4.93 or 4.97? Or you know, And I think sometimes it's not really worth arguing too much over overly specific numbers. This is about setting the direction for the organization. And, and maybe it doesn't matter what the precise goal is. A lot of times these goals are arbitrary. But we need to pick goals that, that create gaps, that drive uh, people to work on things that will improve performance. So again, we want to make sure we have alignment, not everyone doing the same thing. Hypothesis three. So we've talked about true north, the high-level system measures. Then our third hypothesis is, if we actually execute and complete these top X number of initiatives and projects and events, then we'll make the greatest strides towards closing the performance gaps and therefore we'll be more successful in our strategy. So these, these hypotheses are linked together. What is it we're going to work on to improve performance? Now I think you know, generalizations are not always true. I guess that's a generalization. But most organizations that I've seen have too many high-priority initiatives or top-priority projects. Here's a picture uh, from John Toussaint. I couldn't find a picture I had from similar exercises of having the executive team and the vice president sketch out how many and list out how many high-priority projects did you have last year. In this case, the number was 222. I saw an organization that had 300 and something. And then when you ask them, well, how many of those actually got completed last year? It's often a really low number. So this cacophony of conflicting objectives and everything being a high priority 
causes conflict and paralysis, and it sometimes creates excuses for, you know, why didn't we get Project A done? Well, because we were we had resources pulled to Project B. Why didn't we get Project B done? Well, we were focusing on Project A. It's like something out of a Dilbert cartoon. But we need to create alignment, and that means creating focus. That's a word my friend and colleague Karen Martin uses uh, a lot. Um, check out her book, The Outstanding Organization. We need to create focus. So again, this is easier said than done. We need to go through as a leadership team and go through the painful process of asking, what are the top, let's say, 15 initiatives that we need to complete first? Which are going to make the biggest impact on our performance? This is a really tough conversation to have because a lot of times you learn there are pet projects and initiatives that people want to do for all sorts of different reasons, but they can't necessarily tie it to performance measures and strategy. So this leads to sometimes painful and awkward conversations. It leads to uh, sometimes conflict and disagreement. But we need to have the courage to deselect and say, you know, we can't implement every project at once. This will tie into the fourth hypothesis that I'll introduce. VetaCare, as part of an ongoing process in their executive room, has a part of their wall where they have the initiatives that they're putting on hold. And they say, you know, it's not that these aren't important, we just can't focus on them right now. And so it's important to provide visibility. Jeff is going to talk about ways of providing visibility to all of this within our Kinexus platform. So the organization Karen and I worked with was building a board in their executive team. They had their Fortune Earth categories. They had a strategy A3, or what some people call a mother A3. Their high-level strategy A3 for each of those areas. And they defined uh, kind of the minimal key number of measures related to each of those. And they had that displayed um, on a bulletin board. Then we went through and created the initial strategy A3s. The one for safety and quality at first was being sketched out to say, okay, what are, what's our performance and goals? What's our gap? What are the reflections on the past year? Why didn't we hit our goals last year? What did we learn? What do we need to do differently? And then we start thinking about the action plan. What are we prioritizing in terms of the top key initiatives? So we start catch, sketching out that strategy A3. It might start looking like this over time as you you know, formalize it in a system, uh, whether it's a, a spreadsheet or Kinexus. Here's an example of what ThetaCare calls a breakthrough A3, of you know, the high-level annual reflections and plan around improving system safety. So again, you know, we don't always have the exact same terminology or format or structure, and that's, that's fine. But one point ThetaCare makes is that they expect, or at least aim for 50% improvement in their key measures around these breakthrough areas. So we wouldn't be satisfied. We would push ourselves harder than saying, well, let's reduce falls uh, from 10 to 9. Like, you know, we want to set challenging goals, create gaps that drive meaningful improvement work. So ThetaCare in their executive room, they post their key initiatives, what they call their value streams. Uh, there, there are 16 key initiatives. They have their high-level system metrics. So we're, again, looking at cause and effect relationships between what we're doing and what we're achieving. The health system Karen and I worked with had, they got it down to 20 top 
initiatives. You can call these baby A3s or tactical A3s. Now, it's not that these are the only 20 projects they're working on, but these are the 20 top priorities that the executive team is going to maintain visibility to, track progress, so they can eliminate barriers. If people aren't able to get these high-priority things done, they need to ask for help, and leadership can make sure that they have the time and proper resources and people uh, to help make these initiatives happen. And if one of these gets completed, okay, great. We can pull something off of the not now but later deselect list. Because, again, we have, those of you who have seen me talk about Kaizen before will recognize this diagram, different types of Kaizen. Now, the large bubbles, the large initiatives, these are the things that generally will be tracked at the executive level as part of the high-level strategy deployment plan. There might be some medium-sized improvement events or projects. And then we have all of the daily continuous improvement or small Kaizen. That stuff is going to be managed within local teams. Some of the A3s and medium-sized projects are going to be managed at the local team level. The executives and the point of strategy deployment is not to micromanage everybody's work or to be overly directive, but it's to create visibility to say, don't let any of your other work that you initiate interfere with the top high-priority initiatives. That's part of the dynamic and part of the catch-ball process. So if we see an example of a nursing unit board at ThetaCare, it's, it's, I think, rare but wonderful when you can see a frontline manager talk to their team's board. Here are the metrics we're tracking on a daily basis. Here are our trends over time. And here are the improvement projects that we're doing. And they can draw those connections around, we're prioritizing improvements because we think it affects these metrics at a local level. Here's how it affects our patients. Here's how it affects our team. And here's how it affects system strategy. When you see that alignment vertically and horizontally across the department, um, it's really a wonderful thing. So what are some of the lessons learned? Don't take on too much. I think there's another lesson here, good A3 thinking, stop jumping to solutions. The, the strategic A3s and the high-level um, initiatives need to be structured as A3s. We need to make sure that we've understood the problem that we're trying to solve. And, and sometimes this gets really awkward when an executive team realizes you know, for example, I don't know, 10 of their top 15 initiatives are really just solutions and that they don't understand the problem. And sometimes you need to call timeout, go back, and make sure the solution is really solving a problem and contributing to performance. You need to work on gaining consensus. That takes time. And if you have to err in either direction, I would err on the side of having too few key initiatives because I think it's always easier to add more than it is to try to pull things away. So that question of capacity is hypothesis number four. It says we actually have the organizational capacity to complete these X number of top priorities in a year or in the given time frame and to complete them with the right quality and the right outcomes. So this is a hypothesis we have to test. How do we know if we can do 15 or 20 or 25 key initiatives? How do we know we can actually do those 20? We're making our best guess, which is maybe a sloppy way of saying form a hypothesis. But throughout the year, we need to use PDSA cycles 
to check our progress. What did we do? What are our results? What lessons did we learn? So as we go through mid-year reviews, monthly basis or biannual or quarterly, the old management approach said, get results no matter what, get the results or else, and we'll say, I don't care what you do or what you did, I'm just happy you got the results. Where I think in an in a, A3 strategy deployment lean approach, the thinking is a little different. So let's say if we're quote unquote in the red, if we're not meeting a target, we need to ask, well, what's the situation? Did we not do what we said, or did we do what we said we'd do, but didn't get results? So we need to understand, you know, do we understand why that happened? Why did the hypothesis not work out? What did we learn? So did we do what we said and didn't get results, or did we not do what we said we would do? Do we understand why? What did we learn? Did we not have organizational capacity? Did we not communicate clearly? Did we not get alignment? Now, if we're green, if we're meeting the target, I think traditional management says, okay, great, no need to talk about that. But I think in this approach, we still want to ask, did we do what we said we would do and we got the results? What did we learn? Or sometimes we didn't do what we said we would do, but we still got results anyway. I've seen that happen um, in, in different scenarios. So we can't just be happy we got the results. We should be maybe a little puzzled of why, make sure we, we close the gap in understanding. So again, that traditional approach is basically, you know, kind of a linear binary progression. If you got the results, good for you, you're green. If not, you're red, it's bad. Where I think the lean approach maybe looks at it this way, where there's, there's the gray area, where if we did follow the process in our daily work or we did do what we said we were going to do and we didn't get the results, we, we, well, okay, we need to learn from that. And if we didn't do what we said and we got results, that should be puzzling as well. There was a hospital I saw that had a goal of increasing admissions by 10%. They were going to do these different projects. Partway through the year, admissions were up like 11 or 12%. They hadn't done any of their projects. So I'm like, well, if success came that easily, makes you wonder, well, or, or could we lose those results just as quickly if we don't understand why things got better? And it turned out once they dug into it, there was literally something as simple as like a local bridge was closed and being rebuilt. So patients that would have otherwise driven to a different hospital were now driving to that hospital. So once they understood that, they realized, well, heck, once that bridge construction was done, their results might go away. They still need to go do the initiatives that they had laid out. So lessons learned. Don't be confused by a single data point versus trends. I've seen a lot of cases where people point to a single data point and say, hey, look, we got better, when it, it might really be noise in the system. You know, Don't wait until the end of the year to say, oops, we're not getting done what we need to get done, or that we're not getting the results we expected. We need to have reviews throughout the year, not just that annual cycle. So if we think of the four hypotheses in the spirit of plan, do, study, adjust. Hypothesis one is that we have the right true north categories and we can check and test that. It can evolve over time. Let's say we, we roll out true north and everyone's confused by the terminology. We might need to adjust it. Two, we've chosen the right metrics and gaps that matter. Three, we've chosen the right initiatives, or what you might call the means, 
And four, we have the right organizational capacity to actually execute them. So there, I've tried to illustrate some of the approaches here. Again, we'll come back to a different version of the iceberg analogy. You can go visit organizations that, quote unquote, do strategy deployment. And you're going to see a lot of practices. If you talk to Kinexus customers who do strategy deployment, you're going to see digital artifacts of how they manage this process. But we need to make sure we don't lose sight of the stuff that's under the surface. We could have all the right boards and all the right structures and run the risk of just going through the motions instead of having something that really makes a difference. So that's, that's the end of what I'm going to present. I'm going to hand things over to Jeff Roussel, who's going to do a brief demo. And we'll let you, you know, continue submitting questions, and we'll make sure we leave some time for Q&A. Uh, thank you, Mark. So what I wanted to talk a, a little bit about is how a system like Kinexus could help an organization to create better alignment and, and provide visibility into the goals and the actions and the progress around their, their strategy deployment. For those of you who have not seen Kinexus, let me explain it just briefly. We are a software platform designed specifically to help organizations spread a culture of continuous improvement. Part of that mission involves engaging employees at the front lines and, and helping to facilitate uh, what Mark called in his presentation the small Kaizens. Um, part of our mission is also, though, to help organizations manage and collaborate around their projects and the events and the classes that filter down from their strategic choices, which would, in effect, be the medium and the large Kaizen that Mark described. And that puts us in a really nice position to be able to help organizations to align both of those areas so that you can make better decisions based on your progress towards your goals. So let me just show you quickly how, how an organization might use Kinexus to keep track of um, their progress towards their strategy deployment. One of the features that we have in Kinexus is a flexible dashboard that people can use to organize information in order to be able to visualize what's happening. I created a quick dashboard here as an example, and as you can see, I've taken the, the projects or those, those medium and large Kaizens across the top row here. Uh, I've taken the improvements or those small Kaizens, and then I've taken some of the primary metrics that we're tracking, the KPIs and the goals, and I've aligned them in columns that correspond to each of the strategic goals are the true north pillars of this fictitious organization. And so by doing that, we provide visibility so people at a glance can see what are we working on towards each of our goals, what status are those projects in, and if need be, we can drill down into this information and actually lend a hand. And again, the objective is just to this data at people's fingertips so they can make easier and better decisions about the things that they're working on. We see another example of how visualization can help in what we would call a, a strategy deployment board. Again, Mark talked about choosing the key metrics 
to drive strategy deployment. But once you do choose those metrics, it's important then to be able to visualize your progress towards those goals and then understand the, the processes that you're working on in order to make those goals successful. So as an example, being able to see both the projects, their relations to other projects, those, those big A3s, such as our initiatives in this example, right? the smaller projects or A3s, a quick view on the status of each of those, the people who own them, and then being able to drill down into any of those in order to manage the day-to-day -day environment of this project can be extremely important for people. So whether you're looking at information at a very high level across the entire organization, or whether you're digging into a specific part of your strategy deployment, visualizing that information is very important because it helps you to make better decisions. I want to make a couple quick announcements and thanks for giving a glimpse into the Kinexus system, Jeff. Our next webinar is going to be on August 23rd, the same time slot, Sam McPherson. Uh, is going to be presenting on what he calls the art and science of lean leadership transformation. Uh, I've gotten to know Sam over the past year or two. Um, he has a very unique, interesting background. He not only has worked for Toyota, he is also um, was a, a Green Beret Special Forces trainer uh, for the U.S. Army. So it's just an incredible combination of uh, backgrounds and perspectives that he has on leadership and different settings. I think that's going to be a really interesting webinar. I would encourage you to uh, sign up for that, um, kinexus.com slash webinars, or you should get emails uh, from us about that. But also coming up, I want to mention that our CEO from Kinexus, Dr. Greg Jacobson, and I are going to be doing uh, episode nine in our roughly monthly series that we call uh, Ask Us Anything. Uh, we are doing this um, as a video chat, so no PowerPoint, just your questions. People have submitted questions in advance. We have a backlog we're working through. If you go and sign up for the webinar, you can submit questions to us. And if you want to watch the past episodes, you can go to our YouTube channel. There's a playlist called Ask Us Anything, or you can just search YouTube for Kinexus Ask Us Anything. We cover a wide range of different topics based on real questions people have. So we'd invite you to attend live again on uh, next Wednesday, August 3rd, or check out the recordings. Other resources real quick. Uh, we have, of course, a, a, a growing library of webinars on demand. You can find that. Um, there's a link in the menu uh, at kinexus.com or kinexus.com slash webinars. And we also have a blog with lots of interesting stuff. You can find that at blog dotkinexus.com. So let's see. Um, I would certainly invite questions via Twitter or uh, email. So one question that came in from William. How did you decide who got the seat at the table for these discussions? So that's uh, a great question because there's, you know, there's a, a balancing act of, you know, making sure you, you get the right input from the right people, and does that mean you have them 
really participating in the full discussion or are you checking in with them and playing a round of catch ball? So at the one organization Karen and I worked with, this is a couple years ago, but if I remember right, we had in that, that core executive team, we had the C-level executives. Um, there were a handful of senior VPs who had you know, significant operational um, leadership within the organization. I, I think you know, like the, the head of IT, even if they weren't strictly a C-level position, and they sort of ask, you know, who are the key eight or 10 or 12 people that we're going to have in the room to kind of initially hash this out? And they had um, input and facilitation from their process improvement team. But then, you know, when it came to the round of catch ball, if I'm remembering right, we had a room with probably 50 or 60 different directors. And so there was a combination of sort of, you know, presenting to the directors around, you know, here's what the executive team came up with. This is a beta version, if you will, of True North and the metrics, then asking that question, what do you think? You know, breaking out into smaller groups, having people discuss it, giving feedback, presenting that feedback um, to, uh, to the executive team. So, I mean, I think, you know, generally you think of, you know, the C-level, top-level of executives for that first pass, and then their direct reports for that second, uh, that, that round of catch ball, probably the vice presidents and directors. Generally, the manager level uh, won't be involved in that level of catch ball, but then as the directors and VPs start communicating true north and mid-level goals and measures to different department leaders, um, they're going to play catch ball. And, uh, and help figure out, again, what are the specific measures, what are the key initiatives that we're going to prioritize within the department. Uh, we have another question that came in. Um, using physical whiteboards and charts on a wall helps, this, uh, helps keep this kind of stuff front and center, alive, tangible, and real. Moving it to a system like Kinexus can keep it hidden where it goes dormant and get stale, and sometimes a system like this can force a particular structure onto the process without the flexibility of physical artifacts. So Jeff, let me ask this, how do you address these issues? Because I know you get these questions a lot when moving from physical artifacts to a virtual system like Kinexus. Sure, I think it's a great question too, because I think it's a very valid concern, and it's one that, quite frankly, most of our customers um, feel initially. I think what we find is that more often than not, it actually develops a, a better sense of conversation. Uh, instead of replacing that critical face-to-face -face interaction that is required in, in this collaborative environment, uh, it, it enhances it, if you will, because the, the conversation starts off from a point that's a little, I don't know, further down the road, if you will, by understanding what's happening, by understanding uh, where you're at and, and kind of where you want to go, you, you have a more effective conversation. Um, I also think that that oftentimes people um, make the mistake of assuming that a face-to-face -face conversation is possible for everyone. And it, it just quite frankly, that's not the case. People travel for work, people work from home, we're seeing that environment change quite often now. and. Um, and I just I think that 
having the ability to collaborate virtually um, enhances a number of situations. So I, I see that as a concern. Um, I think, though, in practice, that tends not to be a detraction as much as it tends to be an mm -hmm. enhancement of those conversations. Yeah, and, and there was a follow-up from the, from the person asked the question. It wasn't meant to be a, a criticism, just more um, about systems like this in general. And you know, I think it, it's right to be concerned about a lack of flexibility. And I think you know, one thing that's great about Kinexus is that it's very adaptable and very customizable uh, to different types of structures. You know, our uh, implementation and customer support teams don't go in and dictate um, to an organization what terminology they have to use, how they structure things. We've designed the software um, to make sure it's flexible because we know there are different organizations that do things slightly different ways. I think the other thing I would add is I wouldn't view it necessarily as a binary, you know, either or, physical, virtual question. Um, sometimes there's a blended model where um, organizations will do um, some things um, with a physical board and then also use virtual methods. So, you know, physical board, it works great for a local team, but then the visibility is poor um, across the organization and up and down the chain. And, yeah, executives can come and do a Gemba walk. You know, but I think a lot of times what happens is, you know, people are using uh, spreadsheets and, and homegrown systems to try to do the thing that Kinexus was specifically built to do. And, you know, at the risk of sounding like the VP of sales, I think it does it more effectively than, um, you know, kind of hodgepodge systems uh, tend to do. I've um, got one other question that came in. Um, uh, let's see. For KPIs and the phrase, tracking more metrics isn't always better. I believe in the value of monitoring other metrics to help paint the bigger picture of a system you're dealing with. For example, ED patient flow, which would have multiple metrics like uh, the 4Ds, lab turnaround time, imaging turnaround time, especially if the bottleneck begins to shift to a different area. How do you recommend focusing on selecting key performance indicators, but also the communicating the importance of continuing, continually monitoring the other metrics. So I think some of this might, might be the question of, you know, at what level of the organization are these different metrics being tracked? Um, you know, at the executive level or the middle tier, you know, if ED patient flow is really a big strategic issue for the organization, that's really critical to success. I could see the executive team in a particular health system saying around the True North theme of, of access or delivery or uh, patient care or whatever category they choose, you know, one of our key initiatives is ED patient flow. And we're going to track some measure, let's say, length of stay for discharged patients. We're going to pick something that we think is a good indicator. Now, there's a risk. Of course, then, well, if we're, well, if we're, you know, we don't want to be hammering people on length of stay for discharge patients from the ED because then everyone's going to focus all their attention on patients that get discharged and the patients who are going to be admitted might, uh, might be um, ignored, uh, and, and then we're sub-optimizing things. So you might have a high-level measure, but then down at the departmental level, you might have a more balanced set, set of objectives, more specific objectives that focus on the contributors. So let's say you're going through the A3 problem-solving process. Why is length of stay too long? We may do a 
fish, uh, fishbone diagram and we're doing a problem solving, we're saying, well, we think right now the bottleneck is lab turnaround time. So we're going to focus our initiatives and, and Kaizen efforts around lab turnaround time. And then that problem gets solved. And then hopefully at an upper level, we're starting to see the contribution to the high-level metric. The department might say, okay, well, now the bottleneck has shifted to imaging turnaround time. Now we're going to shift our focus there. You know, at the high level, the focus is still pretty consistent. It's on patient care. It's on ED patient flow. But at the, the more detailed level, those goals and metrics are going to be, I think, much more granular. They're going to maybe change more frequently as an improvement happens. So, um, you know, I, I hope that kind of helps address the issue that, um, again, you know, if the management team, executive team is focusing on a, a key 12 uh, measures, again, that's not meant to imply those are the only 12 things that are being measured. And if the executive team is over, you know, kind of helping manage and oversee 15 or 20 key initiatives, again, those aren't the only things that are happening. It's just those are the, the top priority, as, as John Toussaint says, the must-do, can't-fail initiatives. And Jeff, to the, uh, the question about physical boards, you got a response, good answers, thank you. Um, so good job. So all right, well, I think we'll, we'll go ahead and wrap up. Um, there is a feedback survey that you'll get. Um, encourage you to fill that out, give us feedback, what went well, what could have been done better. Um, if you have other questions, feel free to submit those. Or again, you can always contact either of us uh, via email. So on behalf of Jeff Roussel, the entire team at Kinexus, thank you for taking part today, or thank you for watching the recording, whichever the case may be. And uh, we hope you have a, a great week. Thanks. <laughs>